Before the burning body on the side of the road was identified as David, a man went to the Kansas City Metro squad with the first real lead in the case. A little less than a year prior, on November 8, 1973, Jack Caperone, an investigator for the Missouri State Fire Marshal's office, was called in to determine the cause of an early morning fire at D.H. Branham and Cabinet Shop in Belton. As part of his investigation, Caperone questioned the man who had reported the fire. The man was cagey, and Caperone later proved he had lied about how he discovered the blaze. Because of the inconsistencies in his account of what happened, Caperone started digging into the man's background and quickly realized this wasn't the first suspicious fire this man had discovered and reported. Not by a long shot. If there's a hero in this story, it's Jack Caperone, who spent months talking to the man's friends and co-workers and even attempted to set the man up at one point. Without his statement on the afternoon of August 14, 1974, it's highly likely the Metro Squad would have never taken a second glance at this man. So who was this man? Who had an appetite for excitement? Who fire seemed to follow? And who happened to be in the exact spot where David lay burning? If there's a villain in this story, it's Harry Funston. Remember him? He was the Raymore patrolman who discovered David's body. When there's a villain such as Funston, it's important to know his background, the events that led to the climax of the story, which in this case is the murder of David Iman. For Funston, David isn't the beginning or the end of the story, but instead a defining event that took away his power and his perception of going undetected as he swept through the area like a fire in the middle of the night. I'm Dylan Kingsley, and this is episode two of Burn, the unsolved murder of David Iman. Shortly after Caperone started looking into Harry Funston's background, he learned that in the four years since Funston began his career as a sheriff's deputy for Jackson County, he had discovered and reported more fires in the three-county area than all the other officers and deputies combined. During his statement to detectives on August 14th, Caperon provided a map of those fires reported by Funston with corresponding dates. Unfortunately, that map isn't in David's case file, and I've since tried to get a copy from the Missouri State Fire Marshal's office with no luck. But back in 2019, I read a 1976 Casey Star article about the man who police suspected of killing David. In the article, the man is referred to only as X. Three years later, in an article titled, Murder Haunts Ex-Cop, Harry Funston is named. Armed with his name and tidbits of information from those articles written about David's murder, I too started digging deeper into Funston's background. I knew he had a past of finding suspicious fires as a police officer, but I didn't have specifics. I pored for hours and days over newspapers.com, searching Funston's name and any story that mentioned fires or suspected arsons in the Tri-County area in the few years leading up to 1974. I can't say with 100% certainty that Funston set the fires I'll be telling you about, but I want you to remember them. These are the fire-related incidents I found in Kansas City Star and Kansas City Times articles prior to having David's case file. But as soon as I got the records for David's murder, a lot of my suspicions were confirmed, and I'll be telling you how in a later episode. Harry Funston was just 29 years old when David was killed. 
He grew up in Greenwood, Missouri, a small town about 35 minutes southeast of Kansas City, and went to basic training for the Air Force shortly after graduating from Lee Summit High School in June of 1962. Because of the age of this case, I've had a hard time getting in contact with anyone who knew Harry Funston. But I was able to speak with a man named Howard Hopwood, who was Funston's roommate in basic training, and again when both men were assigned to Schilling Air Base in Salina, Kansas. Hopwood, who still proudly goes by his military nickname, Hoppy, told me a couple stories about their time together at Schilling, and they all seemed normal, for lack of a better word. The stories didn't make Harry out to be a monster, just an ornery kid. Like one time, Funston told Hoppy that he had permission to use their commander's vehicles to go get burgers. Hoppy quickly realized they did not have permission and that Harry had stolen the car. Funston's family only lived about a three-hour drive from base, so Hoppy would go home with Funston some weekends. Funston's dad worked for the Lee Summit Police Department, and his parents seemed to Hoppy to be upstanding citizens. But when the boys would ride around with Funston's dad while he was on patrol, he would go to all the lovers' lanes and turn his lights on to scare the kids parked there. Hoppy later told his wife that Funston's dad seemed to be an ambulance chaser, and he always told the boys he hoped something big would happen while they were riding with him. While they were stationed in Salina, Funston married a woman who I'll call Ruth. One time, while Funston was away on assignment, Ruth told Hoppy she wished she had met and married him instead. Around 1965, both men were assigned to Roswell Air Force Base in New Mexico. That same year, Funston's oldest daughter was born. Hoppy's wife became good friends with Ruth and often babysat the Funston's daughter. The Hopwoods regularly had to buy milk and groceries for the family because Funston was irresponsible with money. This isn't to say that someone who struggles to make ends meet is a bad parent, but this is the first look I got into the type of father and husband Funston was. On April 3, 1968, while Funston was stationed in Japan, his one-day-old son, Richard, died. By August 20th of the same year, the Funstons were living in Topeka, Kansas, and Funston applied to be a volunteer firefighter with the Tecumseh Fire District. During Funston's time with Tecumseh, it was believed he turned in several false alarm fires. After a disagreement with the chief about working weekends, Funston resigned from his firefighter position in February 1969. Just a few months later, in August, Funston graduated from the 125th recruit class of the Kansas City Police Academy and went to work for the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. On April 8, 1970, a Jackson County Sheriff's deputy, who I believe was Funston, reported a fire just after 6 o'clock a.m. at a Grain Valley Elementary School. The fire started in a filing cabinet near a teacher's desk and was believed to have been burning for three hours by the time it was discovered. Responding firefighters smelled an accelerant when putting the fire out. The next night, kerosene was poured on the front door of Lee Summit High School. The damage was minimal. While with the Jackson County Sheriff's Department, Funston was assigned to the Buckner area. On New Year's Eve of 1970, a Buckner grain elevator, as well as an animal feed plant and warehouse, were destroyed by fire. A safe from the office on the property was never recovered. The historic Six Mile Baptist Church in Fort Osage was completely destroyed around 4 o'clock a.m. on January 13, 1971. Deputy Harry Funston was quoted in the paper saying he was patrolling the area when an unidentified man approached his vehicle and told him the church was on fire. The fire caused an estimated $150,000 in damage, 
which translates to nearly one million today. In early spring of that year, over the course of three months, there was a series of arsons which caused minimal damage to five abandoned houses and four barns in Lee Summit. These arsons were later believed to be set by the same person as three arsons between 1.30 and 5 o'clock a.m. on October 1st. One fire was at an abandoned house, one was at a tire company, and the last was at a lumber company. These fires were all about two hours apart, giving the fire trucks just enough time to get back to the station before the next call came in. A can of lighter fluid was found at the tire company. The abandoned house, the tire company, and the lumber company were nine, four, and three minutes away from Funston's house, respectively. In January of 1972, a 26-year-old former state highway patrolman and his wife and children narrowly escaped a fire in their mobile home near Oak Grove at 3.30 a.m. The man was woken up by the smell of smoke and attempted to call the fire department, but realized that his phone line had been cut or burned. On the same night, just two hours earlier, a Grain Valley church was burned to the ground. Five months later, the 102-year-old Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Clay County was destroyed by fire around 5 o'clock a.m., and just a few weeks after that, a 21-year-old Lake Tapawingo man was found dead from smoke inhalation in a fire that started in his bedroom shortly before midnight. Harry Funston left the Jackson County Sheriff's Department sometime in 1972 and went to work for the Cass County Sheriff's Department. A little over a year before David was killed, on July 15, 1973, two teenage boys, Gary Hinky and David Stower, left home to go target practicing before the Hinky family was to go on vacation later that day. Hinky was a member of a trap shooting club, and the boys went target practicing often. It is believed the boys had with them a 410 single-shot shotgun, a 22 caliber rifle, and an automatic 12-gauge shotgun. These were the only types of guns owned by the boys. Around 3 o'clock p.m., a couple miles south of Greenwood, just within Cass County limits, where the boys told their parents they would be trap shooting, an estimated 50 tons of dynamite exploded. The explosion caused two craters in the ground between 80 and 100 foot in diameter and both 30 foot deep. The dynamite was stored at a quarry in magazines made of 4-inch thick concrete blocks surrounded by 3 16 of an inch thick steel. The explosion was felt in several surrounding towns. Police called in to investigate the scene found teeth, bits of flesh, body parts, and fragments of a car. They also found two IDs belonging to Hinky and Stower. A sales rep from the company that made the dynamite and the storage magazines said it would require a very, very high-powered rifle, which neither boy had, for a single gunshot to cause the explosion. According to Caproon, Harry Funston was the one to report the explosion. During the investigation, it was proven that Funston could not have seen what he reported from the location he claimed to be. Caperon also said in his statement to detectives that Funston always carried a high-powered rifle with him. My best guess is a .30-6, which Hoppy said Funston might have used. Hoppy also told me that Funston was a great shot and might have even received a sharpshooter ribbon for his marksmanship. I recently got the case file for the explosion near Greenwood. The case was closed a long time ago and determined to probably be the fault of Hinky and Stower shooting the storage container, though neither boy had a high enough powered rifle to penetrate the magazines. However, in the top right corner of the first page of the report, the explosion is listed as a homicide. 
The Missouri State Fire Marshal's Office strongly suspected Funston had something to do with the explosion and the murder of the boys, but was never able to prove it. Funston's name is never mentioned in the case file. The Branneman Cabinet Shop fire, which started Caperon's investigation into Funston, was on November 8, 1973. By November 14th, Funston was with the Raymore Police Department. In December, a 4.45 a.m. fire destroyed a casket company and a barber shop in Pleasant Hill. The last article I found about suspicious fires said that in March 1974, the Lee Summit Fire Department was called to four different fires within a two-hour time span, a trash can, two vacant houses, and a new house being built. Once I had David's case file and learned about Funston volunteering for the Tecumseh Fire District back in 1969, I figured I would check in even older newspapers for any fires in the Topeka area. I found out about a series of arsons that happened in downtown Topeka on April 4th of that year. Between 2.10 and 3.30 a.m., six fires broke out in different parts of the city. The largest and most destructive of the fires was at Metzger Salvage Center, causing $175,000 worth of damage. Also destroyed in that fire were several vehicles, a grocery store, and a house in which the residents lost all of their belongings and their family dog. The other targets of arson that night were two grocery stores, both heavily damaged, and three other stores in a shopping center. All the fires were determined to be caused by Molotov cocktails. Also in David's records, the Pleasant Hill Chief of Police said they had been having a lot of suspicious fires in the five months prior to David's murder. He couldn't remember if anyone from another department had reported any of the fires, but he did go on to tell detectives that on 4th of July, 1974, there were three fires in the area. That same night, Harry Funston had stopped some kids and called Pleasant Hill PD to arrest them for underage possession of alcohol. The chief later found out that Funston lied on his activity log, saying he stopped the kids in Raymore city limits. The three fires that night were all on the road leading back to Raymore from Pleasant Hill. With the exception of the dynamite explosion, all of these fires happened between the hours of midnight and 5 o'clock a.m. Harry Funston worked overnight patrol. Sometime into his investigation, when he already suspected Funston of setting numerous fires and causing the explosion that killed two boys, Caperon attempted to set Funston up. Working with Caperon and his team, a man who lived in Raymore approached Funston and told him he was going out of town for a few days. The man asked Funston to watch his house while he was on patrol to make sure no one broke in and the house didn't catch on fire. Funston carried a radio to monitor all the area police and fire department calls. So when Caperon set up surveillance on the man's home, he created a special code with the Belton Fire Department as to not tip off Funston. If Funston entered the man's house, the surveillance team would say, Belton Code 1, over the radio, to signal to the Belton Fire Department to be on standby. If the surveillance team actually saw a fire, they would say Belton Code 2, and the fire department would know to respond to the man's house immediately. Sure enough, Funston entered the man's house, and the surveillance team put out the Belton Code 1 call over the radio. The dispatcher on duty that night became confused, and instead of putting out the call for the fire department to be on standby, she put out the call for them to respond to the man's address. Funston obviously heard the call over his radio monitor, ran from the house, and sped away in his patrol car. At the time of David's murder, seven different departments had files on Funston because of questionable fires or shooting incidents. 
During his investigation, Caperoon also found that Funston's dad had been the subject of an investigation into a series of arsons a few years prior. The fact that all of the fires I've talked about in this episode were at night or in the very early morning hours when Funston was a night patrolman, and that they were all in areas where he was assigned at the time, and that he reported at least some of these fires, seems more than coincidental. But let's pretend for a second that Funston didn't start these fires. Let's pretend that he wasn't constantly bragging to other officers and friends of his about all the exciting things that happened to him while he was on duty. Let's also pretend he didn't have questionable and sometimes violent interactions with people he was arresting, and that he didn't have shootouts in the middle of the night with burglars who somehow always managed to escape before other officers got to the scene. There's another part of Harry Funston's story, often intertwined with this one, that's impossible to brush off as coincidence or good police work that was just misinterpreted. If you have any information about David or his murder, or have questions or theories you'd like to share, please email burnthepodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact the KCPD Tips hotline at 816-474-TIPS. Again, that's 816-474-8477. KCPD offers up to a $25,000 reward for tips that lead to an arrest in a homicide case.